Dotnet Rocks episode 840 with guests Evan Hauck and Jesse Sternschuss. Recorded live Thursday, January 10th, 2013. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklins.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering Gesture Pack, a powerful gesture recording and recognition system for Microsoft Connect for Windows developers. Details at gesturepak.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're at CodeMash 2013. How are you, my friend? I'm well. How are you? Did you survive the night? I did. Uh, you were playing very well last night, too. Oh, well, the Womacks played here, the Womack family band. Good friends of mine. They're a local band from Norwalk, Ohio. And uh, I got up to play a couple tunes with him. And I got to uh, hide out in the starship room where I was the captain again on an advanced mission. We almost survived. Tell everybody what that was. So it's, a, it's called Artemis. And there are five consoles. So there's a, a helm, an engineering, science, uh, communications, and weapons. That's the starship Enterprise. Yeah, the same sort of thing. And they're all touchscreens, too, which is kind of cool. So uh, it, I ended up being captain, oddly enough. And I'm, How does that happen? I don't know. And I'm loud enough. I think that's the main thing. And pretty, you know, pretty good at giving instructions, so people have a good time. Anyway. You stand uh, up in back of everybody at the consoles, and you sort of manage the whole thing. Right. You're giving, you're, you're ask, I'm asking science for the next mission, like, where's the next bad guy? And then communicating with comms to make sure we know where the weapon loadout is, telling weapons what I want loaded, helm which way to steer, engineering what to power, and then we blow stuff up. That's awesome. And Artemis is A-R-T, how do you spell it? It's A-R-T-E-M-I-S. E-M-I-S, that's what it is. Because everybody's got to spell things weirdly here. Well, anyway, Codemash is great. Uh, We love this conference, and um, we'll definitely be coming back next time. But now we have to get started with Better Know Framework. All right, what do we got? Well, you know, I thought I would... uh, since WPF seems to be uh, coming back into vogue, I thought, I would, and believe me, I'm saying that with a grain of salt, my uh, tongue firmly planted in cheek, I really don't know what's in vogue. Um, I looked up the visual transition class, and the visual transition class is in system windows, and that represents the visual behavior that occurs when a control transitions from one state to another. And they have this really cool um, XAML, all in XAML, uh, example that creates a visual transition that specifies that when the user moves the mouse away from the control, the control's border changes to blue, then to yellow, and then black in 1.5 seconds. So it's kind of cool. You can just do, you can program uh, with XAML these kind of visual transitions. And uh, uh, something you might not know about if you're just trying to get away from Battleship Gray, this is a good way to start. So, Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed comment off of show 836. That's the one we did with Rob Reynolds talking about chocolatey, as in chocolatey nougat. I love chocolatey nougat. Yeah, we all, yeah that, was, that was a fun show. And this comment comes from Jared Kappelman, who says, Another great show. I love the idea of a versioned database. That has definitely been an issue with custom CMS that I maintain. Certain clients are on certain versions of the code, which is easy to see, but it's always been hard to ensure and maintain the tables, views, and stored procedures are all consistent. It's been on my to-do list to write a custom tool to do this, but like most developers, I lack the time and I have other priorities that have diverted me from that. 
I love the recent trend of bringing more of the Irix, Tardis, Linux RPM packages to development with NuGet, Chocolatey, etc. It's not quite perfect, but it's far improved. I agree not being able to uninstall something that depends on another thing is key. I can only imagine that certain libraries require a specific version. You uninstall or upgrade, and then recursively it backfires on you. It'd be great if it would know. This package requires this specific version and is not allowed to be uninstalled unless you override it. Or you could allow concurrent versions for specific packages like Linux Iris support for development libraries and applications. Uh, and, you know, for the most part, Jared, that stuff's all true. I mean, these days in Windows, we're allowed to keep our own copies of our own libraries in our own apps. We don't have to share them at all if you don't want to. Uh, you know, we've gotten away from that whole sharing thing because, let's face it, we've got lots of disk space. What we can handle is uh, application conflicts. So largely, I think that's dealt with. It just could be done even better. So thanks a lot for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com. And before we go any further, I need to tell you that Pluralsight offers comprehensive developer training online. They have almost 400 courses taught by uh, industry experts, MVPs, and people that appear on this show. They release uh, 10 to 12 new shows a month, and uh, topics include just about everything on the Microsoft stack, plus JavaScript, HTML, Java, uh, J- Node.js, just about anything that you can think of. If it's high technology, it's up there. Uh, Subscriptions start at just $29 a month. Check it out, Pluralsight.com. And it is my distinct pleasure to introduce to you Evan Hauk. Evan is a high school junior who's been spending half his high school day at the Math and Science Center at Andrews University. Evan is an accomplished C-sharp and GPU programmer who's at ease with all things parallel. Evan won an Intel Excellence in Computer Science Award in 2011 for his work in recreating the experiments of Comte de Buffon and claimed first place with his teammates in the National Institute of Aerospace's NASA Engineering Design Challenge in 2012. Welcome, Evan. Hello. So the reason that you're here is because you did a very intriguing session, not just for a high school student, but for anybody, which is... Running C-sharp code on the GPU. All right. So that immediately got me thinking about AMP and C++. Uh, which is the the C++ uh, tool to run code on the GPU. Is it similar, what you're doing? It's pretty similar, yeah. And so are you using a third-party library? Uh, Yes, I am. Uh, It's called Kudify. It basically lets you run, compile C-sharp code into code compatible for running on the GPU. And how do we spell Kudify? C-U-D-A-F-Y. And there's also a CUDA product as well, isn't there? CUDA is the actual thing that Kudafy is based off of. It's the main app built yeah, by... I think NVIDIA did CUDA yes. as, a, as a GPU processing uh, tool. In fact, they even make cards with GPUs on them without all the video uh, DACs and stuff just for doing high-velocity processing. So is CUDA and Kudafy are these free products? Uh, yes, they are. And they're available at kudafy.codeplex.com. So let's talk about what code is a good candidate for running on the GPU, and I take it that not everything will run or run well in a GPU. Yes. Um, the thing that runs best on the GPU is thing, tasks that are able to be split up into multiple things. Right. So, um, meaning parallelizable exactly. code? Yeah. If you have a long-running uh, sort of a brute force loop that is just churning away on data is that going to uh 
in a single loop, is that going to, to help me or is it going to be faster or is that something where I should take my data set and split it up over multiple loops? Um, yes, it will help you, but the one thing that the GPU can't do is if one iteration, the for loop, depends on the previous one, right. that won't work. Of course. So there's got to be some things that some idiots like me would try, like, you know, uh, a WPF application or something like that. It's not like I can just take my XAML and my C Sharp and just say, here, run this over on the GPU, yeah. can I? No, you cannot. All right. Uh, so it's code that doesn't have UI, essentially, just... Uh, it's actually a very limited subset. It's basically just normal C-sharp code mm-hmm. and then the math class. Okay. And that's basically all you And I have do. Link? Uh, no, you do not have Link. Oh, interesting. It sounds like I don't even have objects. I have the math class and I have, you know, the C-sharp constructs. You can define your own structs okay. and things like that. And you can have arrays and stuff like that. But that's basically it. So lists... Uh, lists, I think, are out. Okay. Yeah, I said, oh, well, I mean, let's ask the obvious question, which is, so what do you do with Kudify? Why would I want to use this? What, can you give me an example? Uh, the presentation that I did was the traveling salesman problem. Oh, yeah. Which is basically, you have a few cities, like 10 or 11, and you want to find the shortest distance between them. Mm-hmm. And I did it by just a brute force check every single permutation and calculate its distance and then find the minimum of that. Okay. And that's very easy to do on the GPU. Now, when you say brute force, did you, um, on the GPU, uh, I, I'm just, uh, is it just a, is a, lo- it's a loop then, essentially, just a brute force loop, and that it just runs faster on the GPU than it would in, on the CPU? Is that the story? Well, it's, it's sort of like loop, but you don't actually write the outer for loop you just write the contents, what's inside of the for loop. Hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through what the traveling salesman algorithm would look like in that form, that you literally just take any given starting point and work through every combination? Yeah, basically. Okay. So you, is, if it's, let's take five points, so there's, there's, what, 25 combinations, essentially? It's five factorial. Yeah. Five factorial. So five times four times three times two. Yep. Which I'm not going to figure out, but it's a lot. Yeah. And it, and it goes up substantially every time we add one more stop. Yes. Right? So the five's a pretty easy one, but yeah. 20 and is bad. Well, my presentation was on, we did 11, okay. which I think is around 40 million. Right. So that's a lot of permutations to go through. So do you compare the two, like run it outside the GPU, then inside the GPU? Yes. So how much faster are we talking? 40 times. 40 times faster. So you went from, from I don't know, 400 seconds down to 10 seconds. Yeah. Okay. Quite awesome. Quite awesome. Now, um, I guess the thing that our listeners are going to want to know is, you know, what are the constraints and things? So of the primitives, of the primitive data types, you know, for numbers and strings and things, are there there any primitives that we don't have access to? Uh, I think all of them are accessible. It's actually what Kudify does is compiles the .NET IL into this NVIDIA new language extension on C++. Mm-hmm. And whatever is in that language is available for use. All right, so it's, a, it's some kind of C++ derivative. Yes. Uh, under the hood. And I'm just thinking about, you know, if I've got a big parallel problem, I probably, probably have a fairly big chunk of data coming out of a database or some other big store. I guess I've got to convert that into something that, that Kudify can digest. 
yeah, just you would have to convert it into like an integer array, yeah. or you could define your own struct and make it a struct array. Sure. So how does that data get in the in the program itself? Like, how can I access the data from inside the program? Um, well, inside the program, it's just a simple array indexer mm-hmm. on the array. Right, but I'm not going to type in millions of points into an array in my code. How, where does it come from? You know what I mean? Can I read the data from a file? How, just read that data when you're not running in Kudify, right? I mean, you, I get, I'm presuming I can mix this up, right? It's, yeah. Some of my code's running in the regular processor. Some of it's running in the Kudify mode. And, oh, so I can pass an array in? Yes, exactly. Oh, all right, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to in, figure out what the interface is there. Yeah, it's basically just you have a small method that contains all the work that you want to do, and that method really doesn't have anything else. But then you have your supporting framework that's running on the CPU. So I go fetch this big chunk of data out of the database, then I convert it into an integer array, pass that as a parameter into the Kudify function. Okay. I like that. You know what I like that for? Video processing, audio processing. Like, I can imagine, you know, um, this is just something from my studio that I'm I'm imagining. Mixing down uh, a large... Uh, tune, you know, or mastering, you know, where you could be plowing through tons of data and it's just integer data. Yeah. 40 yeah. times faster is a nice, nice enhancement. Yeah. I, I, I am worried about the data handle though, that I'm going to have to copy, essentially copy everything into memory, copy, possibly copy it again. Then it's got to get transferred from my main operating memory into the GPU's memory, get executed and then haul it back. So you'd obviously want to break it down into pieces, into smaller chunks of data, right? Um, you could just do it all at once. There's no real advantage to piecing it up. But that is a very big bottleneck, is how do you get memory to and from the GPU? Right. And it also depends on how much memory is in the GPU in the first place. Yeah. I mean, some of these video cards these days have two gigs of RAM, which is pretty awesome. But yeah. It does matter how much memory is up there. But... Uh, can you feel that time when the sets get big, shoving stuff back and forth? Is it substantial? Because you are against the bus. Like, that's pretty fast. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fast. Um, if you're doing such a simple task, such as adding two vectors, then the time it takes to send the vectors to and back from, to the GPU is a lot bigger than the advantage that you get by calculating on a GPU. Sure, yeah. So the, it has to be a complex enough problem. Exactly. Well, so I'm thinking if I have a lot of data, and this is what I was getting at before, if I've got a lot of data, let's, you know, megabytes, gigabytes of data, whatever, does it make sense for me to um, break the data into smaller chunks? And then if we're parallelizing, we can, what, create multiple threads on the CPU, and then each one of those would um, talk to the to Kudify? Or uh, the GPU can only do one thing at a time. So right. there's multiple threads on the CPU side wouldn't do anything. That wouldn't do anything for you. Yeah. Uh, there is a cool feature that's pretty advanced called streaming that lets you calculate something on the GPU while you're uploading and downloading to the GPU. There you go. Now we're talking. Wow, that's, yeah, that's crazy cool too, right? Like then now you're trying to, yeah, are you moving data fast enough to actually utilize the GPU as well and getting it back out again? Like that's, that's some interesting flows. How, can you describe streaming in more detail? Like, how does that work exactly? Um, it's, once you get into it, it turns out to be pretty simple. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, 
you have one thing executing on the GPU, and then while that's going, you send another thing, another chunk of memory to the GPU. And then while that's going, you may be able to be retrieving another piece of information. So does a method return at some point to say, okay, we've finished the computation, here's your data set? Um, I'm just thinking about, you know, what is a, I call a function that's running, that's going to run with Kudify. When that function returns, it basically means it's finished processing. Yes. So do I, but do I have to wait for that to finish before I can send the next one? Um, you, you know, you were talking about the GPU only doing one thing at a time. Yes. So I'm just thinking like, how do I make that? I can make another call to, 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 uh, the GPU to send up the next set of data before it's finished the first set? Yes. Okay. You can queue stuff up for execution and it'll execute when it gets done. When it's finished. Okay, so you're, not a, you're just saying this is ready to go next, but it's not actually going to start on it until the previous one's finished. Yeah. However, um, if you set things up right and use some cool code calls, mm-hmm. function calls, then you can, as the previous one is executing, you can start uploading the next set of data. Oh, okay. So that does ex- so while ex- the compute time still while you're still computing, you're actually starting to load the next data set into the GPU's yes. memory. So it'll be ready. You can keep that GPU working hard. Exactly. And then it says, "As it, are you doing some kind of callback now that as the set's finished, you're responding to that and and can retrieve it, or is there anything to do there really? There's really nothing to do. Yeah. So it's just the method, the the function finishes executing, and you have your result set. Yeah. Okay. That's it's simple. You you got to keep moving out of there. Um, do the video cards get hot? Is this hard work for a video? Um, if you're continuously working, it's sort of hard work, but it's nothing it's not designed for. Right. Well, you've, you know, it's just like running the right video game. When you actually push the limits of the video card, you could tell, you know, the video yeah. card works a lot harder. I'm just wondering if, you know, there are other things, if there's a bunch of that video card not being exercised that much with just these GPU operations. No, it's, it's getting pretty hot. Okay. It's working pretty hard. So tell us about a couple of the demos that you were we were just looking at in the speaker's lounge there. The fractals? Yeah. Um, I wrote up some simple applications to do some ray tracing on fractals, which is basically a math formula that generates a infinitely zoomable mm. structure. And I wrote that all in, well, the rendering portion, all in GPU code. Okay. So I can render real-time interactive and you wrote your own ray tracing yep impressive thank you wow what were some of the other things that you did in there you said you were you were doing all sorts of crazy graphics things in there um like i haven't really done much else other than the ray tracer but i've done a lot in the ray tracing yeah like all sorts of pretty little effects like um, depth of fields ambient occlusion depth of field being things get blurry when they're in the background or yeah basically like a camera has a focus range mm. and any, everything in front of that or behind that is blurry mm. so that. yeah nice so actually being able to simulate that effect of having a, a narrow focus band on a, on a larger image yeah so you're doing ray chasing to distort the image yeah in real time in real time that's cool and, and so can you then shift the focal point back and forth so that yeah. this piece comes into focus that piece goes out of focus and then back again yeah it's pretty cool to that see. is neat yeah. And that's actually exercising the video card as well. But it, therein lies an interesting question, which is you're using a chunk of the GPU to do these computations, and then you're pre- passing that data back to the, to the video card to display. 
does it actually sort of make a trip back into the CPU to back uh, out again? No, there's a cool feature in CUDA called Graphics Interop, okay. and that basically lets you take a CUDA array that's on the GPU and transfer it from GPU to GPU so you're really not going anywhere mm-hmm. and stick it into a OpenGL texture array or a DirectX texture array. So now we're sort of getting into doing what the GPU is really designed for, which is to create a rendering and then be able to display the rendering. Exactly, yeah. Are you actually copying memory, or does it just map that memory onto the DAC? I think it actually maps it. Yeah, that would make sense to me, because it is the same chunk of memory. Yeah. It's just sort of, you know, there's got to be some good buffer management going on there with what the CUDAFI is doing to make sure that it doesn't step on things. Have you thought about uh, using multiple machines in parallel with, with the GPU? for really big data? I haven't thought about that, but that's a really interesting concept. It gets really complicated really quickly, though. Yeah, I imagine, especially if you're streaming it. Yeah. But, you know, man, the SETI home work units would go a lot faster. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But yeah, I also think, like, I've got a few motherboards in my place that have um, four 16 uh, by PCIe slots that you could put in four big video cards. Yeah. You need a 1,000-watt power supply for that. Yeah, well, and you could, you know, heat your home with it, too, and they all get going. <laughs> Don't water cool it, Richard Campbell. Yeah, who would do that? I can't imagine anybody doing that. But I'm just thinking about the challenge of speaking to multiple video cards with Kudafi. I don't know if you've tried this, because there's got to be some rule set about what card am I talking to. Yeah, there is um, there's a object that's called a GPGPU, mm-hmm. and it just represents a GPU. And when you construct that, you can pass in an integer saying, which GPU to take. So then you have different objects for all your different GPUs, and you can say, have this GPU run this function, this GPU should run that function, mm-hmm. and basically, or you can tell them all to run the same thing. Sure. So, and it's just, now it's up to you as to how you want to split that work up and how you want to display it. Yeah. And, and the kind of work you're actually going to want to do. I mean, it gets back to the, I think, Carl's thinking about audio processing because Carl thinks about audio processing fairly often and being able to take some really big audio files, split them across multiple cards and, and crank through your rendering really quickly and then pull them all back together. Again. Well, some of the challenges that we have in the studio um, and are solved by, you know, DirectX plugins, for example, that use the GPU to do like reverb. If you think about what reverb is and to do that in real time, that's, uh, that's quite interesting. I mean, reverb is an echo, right? So you really have to make copies of, of, of softer and softer transients that completely overlap. I mean, it's generating a lot of data. And to do something like that in real time takes a, a lot of horsepower. So the, you, you, we have plugins that do that um, uh, in the studio, but, and they're definitely using the GPU. Yeah. Yeah. Real-time audio and video effects. I mean, it's, just, it's almost like you know, the fractal thing as an effect in real time, but just using the audio spectrum. So why C-sharp? Why not F-sharp? Um, it's, to Kudify, they're all the same. Really? Because yeah, it uses, you said it uses the, uh, the, the... IL. The IL. Yeah, so as long as you've got any language you've got that'll go to IL, it could be Kudified. Exactly, yeah. That's interesting. Even VB. Now you're just talking crazy talk, Mr. Franklin. Uh, I'm just thinking about the, the differences in the way you, the style you would code in F sharp might actually complicate things. Like you, you, I realize that the code you want to pass in to Kudify is pretty cleanly simple. You know, we, I think we tend to do things more in a more complex, abstract way in F sharp because of that, the functional style. And yeah. I, don't, I, I think you're not. I think you're, sooner or later you're going to call stuff that's not available in Kudify in, in that process. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. 
But why not write in C sharp? I mean, Miguel Diacaza loves C sharp. We should, sure. We should all love C sharp. Like C sharp's a great language. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you can go the native C++. That's yep. what CUDA was originally intended for. Yeah, and then the, these AMP libraries, this whole thing. I mean, I just I, what excites me is this project, this Coplex project that says, hey, you don't have to be a C++ programmer to utilize GPUs. You can work through a library, work in the language you know, and, and, and just be fine. Yeah. Think Kate Gregory will be jealous? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm thinking, actually, is this thinking through some of the more business-oriented cases, guys that are out there building uh, you know, regular apps. But this is really a numbers kind of problem. It's when, when you need to do something that's, that's computationally intense. Yeah, like uh, stock trading. There could be a serious, uh, serious application there. Yeah, possibly. Hey, Richard, you know what time it is? Ah, oh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete Collection to a lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Today's winner is Aaron C. Daniels. Congratulations, Aaron. Ah, golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for you in this big, boomy room. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, and answer a few questions, and you'll be in the fan club. We have thousands of members. Every show we give away a DevCraft Complete Collection or something else and something else. And every December we're giving away $5,000 worth of technology to a lucky winner, and we just gave away a great big honking PC to le- this last year's winner. So go to .netrocks.com, pick on the Get Free Stuff button, you know, we like to ask our guests, uh, if you had $5,000 to spend on toys, what would you buy? Probably a really good computer. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. What would it look like? Would it have a lot of, uh, a lot of graphics, horsepower? Oh, yeah. yeah. All about the video cards, right? Oh, yeah. A couple of the big... Uh, the What's li- the biggest video card you can get? I don't think that's... The, I think the, ni- the NVIDIA's ni- 690 GX is probably top of the line right now. So what is that? Two gigs of RAM or four gigs of RAM? Or? I think it's somewhere around four. Yeah, two. Yeah, I think there's a four version. There's two versions. A double wide card. It's got an enormous fan on it. Like it, it, when you get all that cranking, it's going to be a noisy machine. So you're going to put it. You'd put it in its own room, probably. <laughs> well, those cards run like six, seven hundred dollars a shot, right? So we get the right motherboard. Put four of them in there. I can blow through five grand easy on that. Ultimate Cutify machine. That would be awesome. I bet a lot of our listeners are interested. I can't wait to see the comments. So, Evan, thanks very much for talking to us. Thank you. And uh, it's great seeing you at CodeMash. We're off to uh, do another interview now, Richard. Absolutely. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Telerik Just Code. If you're like me, you're probably using some productivity add-on in Visual Studio to check, refactor, and test your code. But how would you like to get a complete list of your solution's errors on the fly as you type? And not just for the opened files. The new kit on the block, JustCode, does just that for all supported .NET languages as well as JavaScript. It's like having a compiler running all the time, only that JustCode is faster and requires less CPU time. One area where JustCode is definitely better is performance. The tool provides the fastest code analysis and better performance without slowing down Visual Studio. Another reason to try it is JavaScript support. It'll help you read, navigate, and refactor your JavaScript code better than you've ever imagined. Learn more about the features JustCode offers and download a trial at Telerik.com slash JustCode. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. And we're back, this time with Jesse Sternschus. Yes, that is correct. I'm 
good. And let me introduce Jesse. As the founder and owner of The Improv Effect, Jesse weds her lifelong passion for and expertise in applied improvisation with the fast-paced demands of the corporate world. In her classes and workshops, she helps people become better listeners, team players, leaders, and communicators. Her physically engaging and playful workshops are relevant to all fields of life. Participants of her workshops vary from college professors to engineers and from web developers to lawyers. Welcome, Jesse. Hello. It's going to be all Southern all the time. Is that where we're going? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Why not, gentlemen? Yeah. Why not, indeed? So, <laughs> Just kidding. So tell us about your work. This is pretty fascinating here. And, and how did you, uh, after that, tell us how you wound up at CodeMash? So I travel all over the place working with companies, helping them communicate better or be more innovative and creative. And mm-hmm. I use improv to do that. So and you basically try to get people to drop their guard and to use their creative juices without fear of ridicule and reprimand. Exactly. And, and creating that ap- atmosphere where people feel safe. Software developers need that. Like, we're a restrained bunch. Yes, you are. Except <laughs> when it comes to bacon. <laughs> yeah, well, you saw the bacon orgy today. I did. That was quite intense. Yeah, <laughs> especially when the bacon ran out. Yes. It's the closest was you'll there, ever see the software developers rioting. <laughs> I missed the fight. Now I'm kind of upset that I no, missed it. They all that. just sort of stood there and vibrated with distress. <laughs> That's no, awesome. no. <laughs> no. And you notice how Jim had to say, nobody gets bacon until you've attended a vendor session. Yeah, no, there was clearly a plan. That's there. hilarious. Because last year, I think, was the first year they had a bacon bar. And the problem was nobody was going into the sessions. They brought the bacon bar out first. And right. Would go, and he had to announce, <laughs> please, <laughs> campers, <laughs> the bacon campers. isn't going anywhere. Please take it into the sessions. Yes. <laughs> Now, you did a pre-compiler code mash. Yes, I did. Which is like a pre-con, except they're more clever here. Yes, exactly. So, half day, full day. So, I did two um, sessions back-to-back, the same session, both times, of creative problem solving. Now, I've heard the term creative problem solving a lot. Yes. Almost maybe overused. Yes. What makes your solution creative? Me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, that's what makes it awesome. Yes. Yes. So awesome. Um, so basically what I do is I infuse the um, tools from improv into making you look at a problem in a totally different way, mm-hmm. um, whether it's being more empathetic towards who is using your product or who you're um, making something for. Um, also just, um, pushing you to go past that first, second, third idea and get to something really, really interesting. Um, but I do all these different exercises that are based out of improv. So it's fun while you're learning how to solve a problem. So when I think of improv, I think of, you know, the, the comedy clubs where somebody, they want to tell a story and they ask people for details about their life and then right. they make up a song or right. you know, whose line is it anyway, right. that kind of thing. Right, right, right. And that's what you do. You that that so that is part of what that is part of what I do. Um, however, I, a lot of times when people think of improv, um, especially developers, mm-hmm. they they sort of get really scared because they associate it with whose line is it anyway, or being in front of people and everyone staring at you. Mm-hmm. And so I tell people think of the word improvise, and then how does that word relate to what you do every day? And so we do exercises that are. Um, not the ones you would necessarily see on stage. So I'm not throwing 
four people up there in front of everybody else and making them do a game from whose line. I'm right. doing exercises where they're just partnered together or they're working as a large group or they're with everybody. So all attention is not on them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like there's no audience here. Everybody's exactly. participating. Everybody's participating the whole time. Yeah. You were telling us about some of the cooler things that you do, like right off the bat to break the ice what, with a rock, paper, scissors thing. Tell yes. us about that. <laughs> so one of the things I've done um, at the conferences is um, I make everyone find a partner and they play rock, paper, scissors. And so, um, and then whoever's the winner has to go find another winner. And whoever's the loser has to cheer on the winner until it gets down to two people with just like masses of people on either side rooting for their winner to win. So I mean, from a probability perspective, at some point there's going to be two people exactly. left with half the audience behind one. Right, and a hell of a lot of other. testosterone behind them, like, <laughs> cheering it, it them on. It is a male it's, thing, it, isn't Well, it? it's developers, so right, let's, right. let's be honest sure. here. Yeah, <laughs> so... Yeah, and, it, that, and how many people have you done that with? Um, I think the last one that was about maybe three hundred or more. Wow! It was at Madison Ruby. So did they tell you to be quiet? Was it like really raucous? It was crazy. Um, no, they loved it because they hired me to you know start the energy and the excitement of mm-hmm. their conference. So they wanted everyone to a meet somebody that they'd never met before and b have fun with them mm-hmm. right from the start. So that was what I needed to so do. So how do you how do you address the 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 person who says, "Oh, that's just frivolous fun. What does that have to do with development?" Right. So that is fun and sometimes I get hired and the purpose is just for fun. Mm-hmm. But here at Code Mash, what they were supposed to walk away with is some new exercises and tools sort of in their toolkit of how to listen better to your team and how to think of something in a totally different way. And so I make sure that after we play a fun exercise or game that I'm relating it back to work so they understand that, yes, it's fun, but there's also something that you can integrate into your work. So what you talk about these tools of improv mm-hmm. and listening better. Like, right. how do I listen better? What what happens that that, that right? That so on? one of my favorite exercises is um, last letter conversation. So would you like to play it? I could teach it to you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right. All right. So what you do is um, we're going to start out trying to have a conversation about what we did today, mm-hmm. and the very last letter of the last word that I say needs to be the first letter of your response. Okay. So therefore, I'm listening intently to that last ex- letter and ex- thinking quickly. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And you try, you're trying not to let the obstacle of that derail the conversation completely. And so still, you, still trying to have the conversation. Exactly. So you want to play? Absolutely. Okay. So I heard the bacon was very good today. Uh, the bacon was excellent, actually, but we ran out of it halfway through. Wouldn't the last letter be Y? It would. Oh, I thought Today. It was ah. Today, the very last letter, letter of not- the last word. And so what I would do in your case is I would say, let's give a high five and say, I failed. You ready? <laughs> One, two, three. <laughs> I failed. <laughs> Woo-hoo. <laughs> Perfect. Let's try it again. I was not listening that well. <laughs> and see, and that's why we play this game. All right. So you want to try it again? Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, so... Uh, did they have a riot at the bacon bar? Uh, really, no, because developers don't riot. They just sort of vibrate. <laughs> Eventually, somebody probably broke out with their fist and put it in somebody's face. You think? Crap, I don't have anything that starts with K. <laughs> it's a K crap. That's fine. Keep going. K crap. <laughs> Ki- uh, how about kind? They are not. <laughs> nice. Kind they are not. Mm? <laughs> you ended with an E, so eventually more bacon came. 
Every time you mention bacon, I get hungry and want to go find a plate full of it. Touche. <laughs> Nothing pleases me more than a big plate of bacon. Not for me. I get sick of this stuff, actually. The, the caramel sauce and pretzels were much more fun. <laughs> Nobody likes caramel sauce more than I do. Obviously, we haven't met before. <laughs> it's you. <laughs> oh, right. Anyway, so that's how you play the yeah. game. Good. So, and We're clearly having yes. too much fun with this, <laughs> yes. actually. <laughs> I'm like, wait, the half an hour's over. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, you can feel the level of anticipation of like, oh, what's, you know, what's the... And you think you're ending the sentence with a word, and then you throw another word on there, and like, right. okay, now, exactly. Yeah. So one of the things I tell them when they play this game is I'll have them play it a couple times, and first just to get comfortable with it in general, mm -hmm. and then I say, now I want you to play it again, but I want you to always keep your partner in mind, right. and so. We, Stop ending words on X. Right. So make your partner look good. Improv is all about make the other person look good and sure. you look great. Mm -hmm. Right. And I always say, make the other person look good and you look great. Make the other person look bad and you look terrible. Interesting. So we play it again and they set up their partner for success by not ending it on E and X every single time. And they're yeah. more conscious of that and they're listening. So, yeah. And I got to imagine that that feels good and gets exciting yes. you sort of charge them up yes. with this idea of i'm thinking about how to serve my yeah. fellow man better it, exactly and it totally comes back to you yes exactly so there you go listening now uh, you've obviously been around developers a lot and have observed sort of the classic personalities what of, do you mean uh, of developers <laughs> um you know very smart people but how you know how does improv help that sort of and you know i don't want to stereotype developers because we're all people and we're all different but right. you know there are sort of cultural things that we latch on to that we all that sort of shapes our personalities how mm -hmm. how how in particular for that type of personality does the improv help so um for what do you mean like super intelligent people how to deal yeah, with them really smart people maybe some people who like to uh you know um what am i trying to say without insulting anybody um <laughs> Richard has a word here. Yes, and it ends with an E and starts with an X. <laughs> nice. Uh, let's say socially awkward. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe a little, you know, maybe a little uh, egocentric, perhaps, you know, yeah. because we're always thinking about what's in my brain and how do I share what I know. And, right, right. So you know. most of the teams that I work with, that issue comes up all the time. Mm -hmm. So here they are in a room with other developers who all think they're the smartest one in the room mm -hmm. and really want to push their agenda um, before they listen. So we do a lot of work on how do you let go of that agenda and really stay in the moment and hear so that even out of a mistake could be something interesting and the missing piece to solve a problem. And if you're not paying attention because you're so worried about when you get to talk, you're going to miss something good. And so we do a lot of exercises about dropping that agenda and picking it back up if it's still necessary. You know, I still jump back to that little exercise there where you can't plan what you're going to say exactly. if you don't know what the first letter of your first word is. That whole That's right. idea of I have something to say has been undermined by That's that. right. That's right. And, and, you know, probably ending with the right letter is a little easier because you get a little time to think about it and mm -hmm. you can always add a prepositional mm -hmm. phrase at right. the end of your exactly. sentence and without changing the meaning. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Interesting. Yep. So, Carl. Yeah, Richard. You ever embed Excel into an application? Ugh. You know, that's right up there with sticking ice picks in my ears. Nice. Because your end users have to have the right version of Office and all that stuff. Yeah. And it has that extra layer of dependency. What I want is just a way to take all that Excel goodness and 
plop it right into my .NET application. Well, you reminded me of Farpoint Spread from the old days. Yeah, 20 years ago I used Farpoint Spread. But now, of course, it's Component1Spread.net. And now, you know, they have this version that's both for ASP.net and for Windows Forms in one package. Nice. Yeah, it's two different controls, obviously, but it's in one package, so... You bought one, you bought the other. Right. Spread.net from Component1. Smarter components for smarter developers. Should we talk about some other exercises? What else? If you want us I'd to. I'd love to. <laughs> you just want to play games. No, I don't, you know what I really like? I like the, Guilty. The whole high five, I failed thing. I think that's Yeah, hilarious. you want to do it again? Absolutely. Okay, I failed! I failed! Oh, yes! <laughs> Perfect. Hey, Richard, say, I was wrong! <laughs> I was wrong! Me too! Holy crap! <laughs> I can't believe you got him to say that. <laughs> See, and it wasn't even that hard. Yeah. We're in. <laughs> and it's recorded. It's <laughs> fun. You can get it like I I I, I failed. <laughs> Make a remix. Yes, uh, that's right. Yeah, we're gonna have a little drum and bass mix version yes, of that. A Richard remix. <laughs> Let's do okay. it. So some of the other things that you like to do that that work really well with developers anyway. Oh, sure. So um, another game I like to play, which is just to sort of um, warm up their brain, especially if we're doing something like creative problem solving or brainstorming, is a game called Firing Squad, which is a terrible name for it, but that's what it's called. Um, And what you do is you have one person standing in front of four other people Mm -hmm. who are throwing out words at you, and you're coming up with the first thing you associate it with um, as fast as you can. And so it's just about quickly thinking of associations and seeing how people associate something differently than the way that you might. Do they all talk at the same time, or do they take turns? No, they take turns. So the first person um, standing at the person being fired at says a word and whatever that word makes you think of, the one being fired at says that word back. Why the four to one? You, um, you could do this one to one. You could do it one to one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But this is, we, uh, yeah. Yeah, this is how we, yeah, and this is how we played it at Code Mash. Mm-hmm. We did this the other day, so that's the way. So we So you're did. sort of backing him into a corner a little bit, a little, you know, psychologically, uh, <laughs> right? Well, sort of I'm like tra- ga- being ganged up on almost. Well, what I'm trying for them to do is, first of all, we've already set the atmosphere where they're not worried about whether mm-hmm. they do anything wrong. So this is far into the workshop; it's not right at the beginning. Um, but it's about just. A, seeing that their associations are different than everybody else's. Mm. And so what you think may be the common idea that everybody else has may not be. So to pipe up and say something. Um, and also just to get you to think at rapid fire pace. So Yeah, I almost think because you have these different voices coming at you with mm-hmm. goodness knows what words. Right. You don't have time to overthink your responses. Exactly. Right? And you get much closer to the gestalt. Right. Exactly. Just, they're exactly. going to have to say what's at the top of their head. Exactly. It's coming. And I want them to surprise themselves. Do and you, that's uh, the point of it. Yeah, you know, I, I think about, uh, my wife would probably do this. She would laugh mm-hmm. and not say the word. Mm-hmm. And then everybody's like, what? You know, it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. no, no, I can't say the word. Right. That I was thinking and about. I would tell them, just go ahead and say it. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's the word to say. Right. That's the word you should say, that first one that comes to mind. So, um, Another one along those lines is um, something that's kind of Sesame Street-like but fun mm. is called Finish My Word. And so the first person says the beginning of the word, and the second person says the ending of that word or mm. phrase, and then they look each other in the eye and say whatever real, world, wor- real word they created together. So I might say... B, and you, whatever you think the ending is. So B. Wary. And together we'd say, be wary. wary. Exactly. And so we get them to be, A, see that they can lead and somebody else may follow up in a very different way than they intended. Mm-hmm. But the reason they say it together is then we say we've now collaborated. 
It really does make a difference going through these seemingly silly things mm-hmm. that it really cements in yeah. stuff that you can't just you know read about. Yes, exactly, right? exactly. So, um, so that's when I like to play, and that's when I play usually more towards the beginning. So mm-hmm. way before I do the, f- <laughs> way before I fire at them in the firing squad. Sure. Yes. But also, I mean that that associative thing is you know it's not you in the loop there right. as the instructor. It's them talking to each other. They're gonna they're gonna surprise themselves. Right, and that's the whole point that it's interactive, and I would like them to gain more self awareness and more awareness of what they think the point is. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to necessarily pointed out for them I say okay I know this was fun but how do you think this is useful how do you think we could use this silly game as something actually helpful when we go back to work or Mm -hmm. later today you know and I want them to get there themselves and they do because they experienced it instead of me just standing up with a PowerPoint talking at them for hours and hours and hours yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's right (laughs) learning uh, teamwork by lecture exactly that's my favorite (laughs) <laughs> is there a, have you ever had uh, clients do a regular regimen like you know like you would exercise like sort of like 10 minutes at the beginning of every day we do a little improv just to stay sharp and focused yes so some of them use it like right before their stand up like if they're practicing doing agile and stand up meetings and all that mm-hmm. so they'll do a couple of exercises I taught them they'll do it right before that and it just gets them to sort of regain focus or whatever something like that so and other people you know they want to do it on not as frequent of a basis but enough to sort of get a nice refresher or whatever I can sort of think of uh, maybe this is me projecting but you know the, the getting over the fear of somebody you know you saying something that comes to mind right and being shot down right, right. yeah right because that's right. a big one I think for us right and so in improv um, that's probably the biggest theory of improv is about yes and mm-hmm. and so um, and so that we're creating an atmosphere where people don't shoot down each other's ideas um, and so we do um, I like to do a lot of games with people around this idea of saying yes and and so I'll take them through a series of what it's like to be negated constantly and then what it's like to have your idea heard and then not only heard and validated but built off of and pushed something forward. What if the idea forward. sucks? If it sucks you can actually still use yes and and have that person's defenses down and not up and still listen to why it's a no. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's the difference. Because if you say no right away, they're either pissed and gonna like fight you, or <laughs> you know, they just or just not listen or not say anything. So. Right, but to have the discussion is right. actually helpful. Right. Yeah, isn't what we're really finding against here disengagement? Just this mm-hmm. idea that they stay mm-hmm. even when not agreed with. Right. Stay engaged. They the stay process. engaged. Yeah, and so again, just to hear that you know they're validated, and st- and maybe we got to a no. But at least they know they were heard. And I mm-hmm. think that's really important to people to know that they were heard. I mean, also like the idea of having worked in lots of different teams that the no or the fail mm-hmm. is a, really a collective fail, too. Mm-hmm. Like we were a team. We were all together. You may be the one that stood up and they disagreed with right. you, but we were all with you. Right. And on stage, if you're an improviser on stage, mm-hmm. the fail is the best part. I mean, that really? mistake is the thing we accentuate and play off of. And Absolutely. it's the surprising thing. And it's usually the funniest part of a show. Sure. You never yeah. let that go. Yeah. When generally speaking, when I've done team building, I tend to do it sort of outdoors, right? You know, up seeing, a tree, and seeing the character, <laughs> right? Right. Right. Putting, right. putting them in right. situations right. that they're not used to, right? Right. But you've you've managed to come up with that inside of a hotel room, exactly. Yes. Or if you want to do it up a tree, you know, I'm perfectly okay happy to. Right? Improv <laughs> works up a tree wherever you'd like to do it. Has anybody done improv with devices? Let's say texting or even a custom sort of 
connected game on a phone or something like that? No, but that's been something I was thinking about, some Hmm. way of doing it either texting or Twitter. One of the things I was going to do at Codemash and didn't get to, um, it wasn't really a game, but it was. um, I wanted them to think if they were to write their memoir in six words, what would it be? And and then go ahead and put that, like, tweet that out. Like, what would that, how could you simplify nice. who you are into six words? And just challenge them to do that. But hmm. we didn't have time. But anyway, they, they can do it now if they want to. Yeah. It's a whole other level of visibility. Yes. So can you talk about the outcomes? Like, do you spend a day doing this, half a day, and then what? So, um... companies vary. It depends Mm -hmm. on really what are their goals? What do they want to achieve? So some of them want me to come back on a quarterly basis and we work with them and then refresh them and whatever. Some of them then want to do presentation skills and they work one on one Mm -hmm. with me and whatnot. Um, And so I could come into a company for a half day over a couple of days at a time and work with different teams. Or it could just be, like I said, working with that executive who just wants to get more comfortable. Do you ever get the, well, how do we measure the success of the hour that we've hired you for? Yes, we (laughs) need direct measurements. Yes, um, I get that quite a bit, actually. And it's super annoying. Yeah, um, how about just look at your people? Exactly. Yeah. How about investing in your people? How about that's what it is? Um, so, yeah. So, is there all this technical data that we can put on spreadsheets? You know, that's not what this is. But the thing is, over a long period of time, you're going to see that these people, A, they may stay at your company much longer. Mm-hmm. You know, B, they may keep your clients when you send them out. And maybe they're a consultant and you're sending them out. They may keep them because they didn't put their foot in their mouth. Mm-hmm. So, there is a return on investment. It's just not something that I can write up in like a 50-page spreadsheet for it's not whoever. predictable. Exactly. Well, like improv. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, a more productive team is pretty powerful too, right? Yes, absolutely. Start valuing each other and, you know, you've gotten to know more right. about each other under a circumstance like right. that and a few barriers broken down. Right. Occasional I failed high fives. Right, and, right. You know, I, right. I think you're going to generate fewer bugs and get more code written. Well, I think your return on investment is that you're getting the most out of every single person in the room because they all feel like they have a voice. They sure. all feel like they can say something. They have a, a supportive yeah. environment. That's really what it is. Yeah. What about the creative side? Like you were talking a bit about brainstorming. We're really mm-hmm. talking about just getting the team to work better together. Mm-hmm. But what does brainstorming look like in that scenario? So with brainstorming, what I'm going to do is, uh, you know, I set them up with different tasks. So at this conference, what I did is I told them to think of something that we use every day um, and then tear it to shreds. So mm. basically come up with, you know, grab the 10 people next to you and start writing all the reasons why it's terrible. So like one of the groups picked a fork, you know, and they exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Really? Awesome. Maybe because we just had some ridiculous food. Yeah, it was really good. Uh (laughs) It was bacon. (laughs) Bacon. Um, bacon. (laughs) Sorry. Fork. (laughs) So the fork. So anyway, and so it's, it's take, it's taking a look at something in a different way, stopping and thinking, how could we make this better? And by saying like all the terrible things, things, there might be some actually big gold nuggets in there mm-hmm. of interesting ways to tweak something in a way you would have never thought of because you became complacent with something that does its job and right. it's working just fine. So why fix it? Right. Um, so that's like one of the exercises I like to do to get them to think in a totally different way. 
Hey, there have been studies that show that um, music sort of builds, you know, the plastic brain, you know, mm-hmm. actually building neurons mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that and creating actual physical mm-hmm. brain cells. Mm-hmm. Has, have similar studies been done about uh, this type of thing? So I think that it's just beginning to be done. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I've always wanted to do actually is like have like a test yeah. where like they're doing improv and their brain is being like scanned at the same time and to how see. How active is their brain yes. while doing that? Yes, and and, com- and what parts of the brain? Because right. different Compare exercises and improv, I think, actually work on different parts of the brain. Mm. And so you'll see that like certain people that are very logical and technical will succeed at certain exercises, and then other exercises that are more right-brained, they you know other people feel more comfortable with right. it. And so it'd be neat to see like which parts of the brain are lighting up and all that stuff. I would love to do that. Yeah, one day. And, and compare them t- on one hand to somebody playing a piano concerto, and on the other hand, somebody listening to. Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah, yeah. Know. And see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> Measuring uh, mental activity right. and all of that. This is my country brain. This <laughs> is your brain on, on country. country. I love country. Don't write. <laughs> Perfect. So what's next for you? So what's next? Um, meaning where am I going next? Yeah, where are you going? What are you doing? Okay, so. I mean, how much is this conference and how much is this corporate? Um. Most of it is corporate. Right. Um, however, a lot of that corporate comes from going to conferences sure. and doing conferences. And I got to mention, people. I mean, in corporate, you probably have a particular team you're working with. Whereas, like here at CodeMash, like you just had a random collection of individuals. Yes. So the way I design something for a conference is very different than the way I design it for a team that really? is working on very particular goals mm-hmm. um, and needs. And I know kind of who that team is and what they need. This, when you have random people walking in a room, they may be a remote. They may work remotely. They may work by themselves. Yep. They may work at a very forward-thinking company and not so much. Um, and so we design it differently. But the next thing I'm actually off to is um, it's called the G School in Denver. Mm-hmm. And um, a company called Galvanize is um, has made this uh, connection with Jumpstart Lab. And what they're doing is they're trying to make developers out of people that are passionate about other things right. and that want to learn how to develop. And I heard about this. Yeah, yeah. The, the Jumpstart sort of realized we can't hire enough developers. We need to grow them exactly. ourselves. Yeah. So I've worked with them before. They... Um, they were at Living Social, hired them mm-hmm. to run something called Hungry Academy, and I kicked off that program mm-hmm. um, and then came back and helped them like get comfortable doing lightning talks and stuff like that. And so now he's going to be working at the G School, so I'm going to be kicking off that program for them. Neat. Yeah. Do you mostly talk to developers or business people of all kinds? Of all kinds, but at this point, for whatever reason, the ball is rolling in the yeah. tech world. Um, and so probably 85% of who I deal with are the developers. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. IT people? IT people, yeah. Really? Yeah. Even, really. On, the, even on the infrastructure side? Yes, all, all, huh. all parts, yeah. So. yeah. That whole span. Well, mm-hmm. it's a bunch of us, and, mm-hmm. and we have a history. Right, exactly. And usually, you know, that's how word of mouth works. You know, somebody's like, oh, this was really awesome. And so, and then they, in, in the tech world, people really go from one company or then they go to a startup. And so they're like, oh, Jesse should come yeah. play with us with the improv effect. That's Yay. great. Well, we wish you great success and thank you very much for uh, spending this time with us. It's uh, Jesse Sternschuss, and you can check out her website at www.improveffect.com. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. Hey, thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 minutes of free video training by guests on .NET Rocks and other experts in the field. 
pearlsight.com. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a 